0: Well, good morning, everybody, again. I'm, uh, I'm so, I always feel this. I always feel like up to this point, like it was worth it. it. Wasn't it worth already coming? So sweet to be together. I want to bring you into the scriptures for a few minutes together as we uh, continue on in the story of God. I'd love to have you take a Bible out from the um, seats in front of you. If you're in the front row, those guys will get you one. Uh, in the second row, we'll get you one. So um, grab a Bible. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, so I need a page number from somebody who's a Bible whiz, Sunday school champion, who will tell me where that is. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Got a page number? I didn't hear that out. 1151. Thank you. 1151. Page 1151. We're going to do a little Bible study together, so I'd love everybody to have one in your lap in front of you because there won't be stuff on the screen. We are in this, uh, the, we're doing this reading uh, this summer. I hope you're not discouraged yet about the reading. I hope you're not discouraged. I hope you're like, oh, I kind of got behind. It was so long, I didn't do that good. I'm actually making eye contact with a number of you who are telling me that's the case right now. Jump back on. We've got three more weeks. We're in the New Testament. It's so good. Here's the story of God. This is where we are in the story of God. God revealed himself as the one creator, uh, Lord of heaven and earth, created a people for himself, revealed himself over time through the patriarchs and the prophets, and then led us up into the time of Jesus where we were going to be ready as a world for the coming of the Savior. And we got to the New Testament reading in our reading plan a couple of weeks ago. We were all like, yes, thank you, Lord. It was tough sledding for a while. And here we are, we're in the New Testament. We read about Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection. And then last week, we got to uh, Acts chapter 2. We had the... uh, the baptisms, and we knew at that point that uh, we read in Acts chapter two that the, the church was born because they all came and they said, so Jesus is Lord, now what do we do? And Peter said to them in that first sermon in Acts chapter two, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And then the Holy Spirit would come. And he did. And the church was born. And now this is my most favorite part, because now we're in this place where we get to be the people of God. I titled the sermon, Now You Are the Body of Christ. It comes out of this passage in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Later on, I think it's verse 27. And those words are right there. It just says, now you are the body of Christ. You're the people of God. By the way, some of you might be a little confused right now. Because if you did do the reading, you're like, That wasn't in the reading this week, was it, 1 Corinthians? So if you did the reading this week, you discovered a typo. Yes, you did. Look at you, you stud. You're the one who tells the teacher, I think you made a mistake, Mr. Mazzarello, right? So yes, there was a typo. So we had in the the reading, uh, it said 2 Corinthians 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 was the reading. There's no chapter 14 of 2 Corinthians. So some of you were reading like that's a lot and you got the end of the thirteen and you're like, Yes, free chapter, I'm off, I don't have to do it. Well here's what I did. I second guessed Arv who put that together and I said, Well, he must have meant first Corinthians. Because there's a chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians. And by the way, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, are awesome verses all about being God's people, being the church, spiritual gifts. Chapter 13, the love chapter. I'm like, that must be what he meant. And by the time I started, I'd already read it, got a word from the Lord about what to preach on, wrote my outline, sent my slides to Daryl, and then I realized none of you read that passage. That's right, we're going to preach it anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we are. And it's about being the body of Christ. Now, before we get any further, listen, here's the good news. We're talking about the church. We're talking about getting to be the church. The Holy Spirit has come to us. We've received Jesus. Now we get to be the church. And the scripture uses the phrase, you're the body of Christ. Before I go any further, think about what that means. It isn't just that you're an assembled group of people. Therefore, you're a, you know, the assembled body was here. It means the body. It means you actually get to be his body. You get to be his, track with me, his physical presence. You get to be Jesus's hands and feet and head and arms touching the world. Because think about what just happened in the story of God. Jesus was raised from the dead. And what happened after he got raised from the dead? He hung out with his disciples. He did a a whole bunch of stuff. And then what happened? He ascended. And he said, they go, where are you going? We, you can't leave us. We need your body here, Jesus. And he goes, oh, no, I'm going to send one who's going to do greater works than me. The Holy Spirit will come. So Jesus's spiritual presence is with us and indwells us as believers. And then he goes, and now you're going to be the body of Jesus, the physical presence for the world. So we actually become Jesus's presence in the world. That's what the church is. So when the church was born, it's spiritually empowered by the spirit of Jesus. And pragmatically, we become the physical presence for Jesus in the world. Isn't that cool? You like that. Now, let's look at what we learn about a few things about um, being the body of Christ and that image. So look with me at chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 12. And just read a couple of verses at a time. And I want to see what we, hopefully, you'll we'll have time to have you interact a little bit with me. Verse 12, everybody there? Page 1151? I have the first couple of verses up, but that's it. After that, you're going to have to have your Bible. Verse 12, just as a body, though many, has many, sorry, though one, let's start over. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now, I botched that a little bit, but just as one body, though uh, the one, has many parts and all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ, and we're all baptized into one spirit. What are some of the things you see about this metaphor that he's using here? What's he saying about us being the church? Give me one or two observations before I move on. What do you see there? What's it say? Yep, Joe. Okay, the body can't function without all the parts. Yeah, good. What else do you see? Make us any less us more. She said we should embrace our differences. They don't make us any less because we're all part of it. We all have, we're many, but we're all part of the one body. Yeah, I very simply at the beginning I just I wanted to point out the fact that we're one body. There's this one, there's a one unified um idea to be in this body. We're one body. Go ahead, Mark, put that up there. Now if you think about it for a second, it's kind of a cool image. Why? I mean, there's other images that he could have used to sit, talk about us as the church, and, and one of them could, could have been uh, family, for example, because we says we're children of God, so we can be, you know, considered family. And we're brothers and sisters that way, and that's used in scripture. But when he described the church specifically, he said, "You're one body." You know, he didn't use here's the here's the images he didn't use. He didn't use club. He didn't use a social any words for like a social gathering. He he didn't use a fraternity. He didn't, he used the word body to describe who we are, that we were one body. So there's this one flesh idea. We're we're back to the marriage analogy from last week's baptism conversation. When you remember this in creation, the God said that that a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they shall be what? One flesh. There's a spiritual unity that happens. So we're one body in that marriage analogy. Well, in the body analogy, we're all part of this one flesh idea. And we're, it's, it's an organism. It's alive and it's dynamic and it's, and it's intentional and it's, and it's interdependent systemically. It's a live one body happening. That's kind of cool. It's so much better than going, hey, here's a little club that you're a part of. And we value all of our members. It's like, oh, no, we're actually working all together. I was talking to Steve Finkbeiner, who's a neuroscientist. And when he starts talking about the way the brain works and the way it's connected to the rest of the body and the chemical uh, interactions and all those things that happen, he gets all fired up. You should see him. Gets super nerdy on you. (laughs) But Jesus nerdy, because it's such a God thing that our bodies work together so well. Well, that's the image that we are uh, first introduced to in this idea, you get to be the church, you get to be the presence of God. We're one body working together. We'll learn some more. Let's look at some of the other details that are revealed. Let's go back to verse 14. So even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And you alluded to that. Verse 15. Now if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it for not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many many parts, but one body. And that's what you guys alluded to. You already saw that. You already shared that. There's many parts to the body. And this is how I phrase it. I said that, that even though we're one body, we're also, we're many. But every one of us is a part of it. What else do you see in this description of just this paragraph? What do you learn about the idea of being the body of Christ together in that paragraph? What are some observations? Yeah, Justin. It makes me think of how the whole church, globally, we have a ton of denominations. Yeah. We might have disagreements on certain minor issues. Right. Thank you for thinking of the whole church, right? It isn't just the body gathered in this room. It's not just the Christians in Marin. It's the whole body all over the world. They have different uh, uh, doctrinal interpretations, some of them, and they certainly live out their faith in culturally different ways. It is so cool to see that, but we're all part of it. And man, do we have a lot to learn from each other, which is why it was so great that those guys in Thailand went and observed That was part of Jim's, our missionary's strategy when he gets us there, is to help us understand that God's already at work with them and their understanding and their culture and the way that they understand it all. And we actually have a lot to learn from those partners in Christ. Good, Justin, thanks. What else do you learn from this one paragraph? Yeah. That God places each part exactly where he wants them to be. Did you hear that? That God places each part exactly where he wants them to be. There's some design to who you are. In this part of the body, in this culture, at this time, in this place, that God put you here. Yeah. That, I love that verse. Good. What else do you see in this paragraph? Yep, Lisa. Each part of the body is as important as the other. Yeah. Don't you find it fascinating that it literally says the eye can't say to the hand, uh, I don't, be- or the foot can't say to the hand, I don't belong to the body. There's something inside each of us that resonates with that thing that we look around and we compare ourselves and we go, well, he's further along in the Lord. Well, she's gifted as a leader. Well, and we think there's somehow we're second class citizens in the church. That is the weirdest secret that everybody holds somewhere deep down, that there's some kind of second class citizenship and they're part of it. They're part of the outside group or they're part of not really like everybody thinks that you guys, but this text is teaching, you know what? we got to get our head around the fact that our body is interconnected with one another, and we can't say we're not part of it. If, even if we feel that, we are part of it. So now we got to figure out how it is that we're connected to one another. And I do love that idea that Bella talked about, that God has designed the body in such a way that he's put you here at this time to bring your part of the body, who you are, To the mix. And so the people gathered around you, the people that are encouraging you, the people that you rub shoulders with, the people that your kids are downstairs with, uh, all of us are here. I don't know if this is too overdramatic to say. Your story is intersected with God's big story, and you were raised up for such a time as this. And so this place where you are right now and what you bring to the table with all of your imperfections Really hard to make eye contact with somebody right when you say that. <laughs> all of your imperfections <laughs> and all of the beauty that God designed you to be, right here, right now, you're to bring it. And the rest of the church goes, yeah, you're part of this. Well, it even goes further. If you look at verse 21, now there's, it, it kind of gets at another um, uh, deeper truth. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. So not only do do we not want to, f- we're not allowed to go, yeah, well, I, uh, I'm not part of it. I'm kind of second class. We actually, now, we get to this place where we think that there's some judgment that might be happening, and we feel, can feel judgy, but it's like the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. What a weird human thing that we bring to it all—judging, going well that part of the body, this part of the body, that person—they're a mess. I'm a mess. Where wherever we're coming from, whether we're judging other people or we're judging ourselves, God has brought you. It's, they're indispensable. Every part. Listen, I know these are a lot of words, and I know you're still going to feel the same things potentially that you're feeling about yourself. But I want you to hear me, Holy Spirit, come through. Like, put power in these words. Ready? You're indispensable. To the body of Christ and what you bring, you got to believe that, and you got to live out of it. That's what the scriptures are teaching. Verse twenty-two. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. Oh, that would be true in the body of Christ. That's awesome. And the parts that are unpresentable—by the way, unpresentable doesn't mean like, oh, Jonathan. We don't. We got to keep. It. Keep Jonathan away from the strangers. You know, not like that, but that, that's a that's kind of code for um, the parts that you can't present in public, like the most private parts of the body, okay? So the, the parts that are unpresentable, we, we give them, um, they're treated with special modesty, and the presentable parts need no special treatment, but the point is God has put the body together giving um, greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part honors with it. It's a great paragraph of logic to say you can't not be a part of it. You are a part of it. If you think that you're less, you think your brother or sister is less, they're indispensable. God has put everybody in here with a different role. I phrase it this way. We have equal concern and equal, equal sorry, equal need for and equal concern for each other. That's That's how the body lives itself. There's something inside of us that makes us either, um, well, we long to isolate, I think. I think we isolate from one another because we think that we either don't need other people, which is a really scary lie, or we think that other people don't need us, which is not living into how God created us. And either way, it sells short what God's trying to do when he says, now you're the body of Christ. Do you track with that? You're needed. And you need each other. And that's what the scriptures teach. Just like one body is all working together. Now you look at the next few verses, it's sort of a sum of the passage. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it, and God has placed in the church, first of all, prophets. Now, wait a minute. Now you're going to go, wait, what? It sounds like he's ranking gifts. He's not. He just got through teaching in this thing that they're all the same. We need each other, and, and the ones even that we think are less honorable, we treat with more honesty. It's upside down in God's economy, isn't it? In God's kingdom. But, he, but he's really talking about sort of as the church was built, sort of foundationally, okay? He's saying there were prophets, uh, sorry, apostles, and then there were prophets, and there were teachers, and then he said, and then there were miracles and gifts of healing and of helping and of guidance and of different kinds of tongues. You're like, well, that's an interesting list that he lifts off there of spiritual gifts. It is, and it's partly because if you read in your study Bible the uh, introduction to this, to what was happening in Corinth at the time, they were super enamored with all the kind of flashy uh, exciting miraculous gifts and they were all searching for those gifts everybody wanted one of those gifts and so but he go ahead he's he's kind of gently correcting them about that he's all listen Good thing we got apostles and prophets and teachers, so we got some truth. And then you guys are getting all uh, fun and, and dynamic and exciting. And he goes, but the point still holds in this, look at verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts? Of, do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No, his point is no. And then he says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. We actually don't even know what he means by that, frankly. The study Bible right here, anybody want one of these? Anybody not get one of these that needed one of those? Oh, I saw the hand in the back row. That is so excellent. Um, in the study Bible, it'll tell you that there's a couple things that that may mean. We're not exactly sure. We're so happy to give you that. Um, it could mean what he's saying is that that You gotta desire not just the shiny gifts, but you gotta desire the stuff that's foundational to the to the church as well. So make sure you've got those leadership gifts happening too. You got apostles, you got prophets, you got teachers, you got some truth anchoring that thing. So to make sure those gifts are in your body. Desire that those gifts are working in your body. It could also mean this, which is what he's about to go into, and here's the twist, and I'm gonna end in just a couple minutes here with this, where this text is going. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and I'm going to tell you the most excellent way. Do you see it in your Bible? It's below the next little paragraph break, which that paragraph break in your and do you, have a, do you guys have that in your Bible, paragraph break? I mean, a section break, really, right? But it could be what he's going to say is, listen, it, l- the point is, if you're longing for shiny gifts, If you're longing to judge yourself for or against, like they got exciting gifts or they've got leadership gifts, he's like he goes. I made the point we're all part of the body, and every part is needed, and you can't not need them, and they can't not need you. And he goes, make sure you got foundational gifts. But then he goes on to say, and I'm going to show you the most excellent way, which is this. Look at your your Bible. What is it? What's the most excellent way? It's the love chapter. See, all of these gifts are going to be administered out of love. And this was so cool about what Jesus instituted was he's like, this is an amazingly beautiful thing. Our body's going to work this way and love's going to be in the middle of it. And now you get the love chapter. This was such a surprise to me as I was reading along. I'm like, I thought we were talking about spiritual gifts. And now we're at the wedding planning chapter. And we all get there, right? We're all like, oh, love. Love's so great. We get into the wedding chapter. But you guys, this is not a wedding chapter. By the way, we also know how much the world needs love. God God's so loved the world that he sent his only son. Like We know about that. It's not even talking about the world. Think about the context right now. It's not your wedding, and it's not loving your neighbor, uh, who's just really irritating. The context is the body of Christ. Do you see it? He goes, you're all gifted. And now you have to live. If you're going to go be the church, you've got to live out of this love. You can tell the context. Let's read it a few verses together. Verse 1 of 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. We're all picturing newlyweds at the altar. This is way more gritty than that. This is, this is the body of Christ living together, trying to be the, use their gifts in the, in the context of these relationships, of this organism of the body. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is the gathered people of God loving each other so that we can be all that God has intended for us to be. This is why my dear wife is up there emotional about Hebrews during the worship passage. Where the text says, Don't give up meeting together. And it makes a deep woman of faith weep because she's like, God forbid the hope that we have, the encouragement that we need to live out who we are the hand and the feet and the eyes and the ears, the parts that we think are less presentable. Like, God forbid that we would stop meeting together and not have the encouragement that we need. This is all listen, we're going to go love the world for sure. Listen, we're going to go out from these doors and be people who, who, who help people understand the good news. But right now, we're not even talking about that. We're talking about being this group of people that God calls together and placed them every part just as he wanted them. And then it's like, don't, you got to not, not meet together. You need each other. And the context of all of that is love. Now, listen, I'm, it I, makes me think of this verse where maybe you grew up at camp singing this song that, um, that we were always told that everyone will know that we're Jesus' disciples if we love one another. Remember that? In fact, we got to turn to it. I just got two minutes. We've got to turn to it. John chapter 13. We read it two weeks ago in our reading. Turn there because I want to end with this. Beloved, let us love one another, right? Is that what it is? Is that how it starts? I forget. That's the song that I learned once. John chapter 13. Somebody have a page number? 10, 7, 9. 10, 7, 9. End of the, actually, end of the chapter. John 13, verse 34 and 35. 1080. You there? John 13, 34. This is where Jesus says it. A new commandment I give you. Everybody got it? A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Wow. We love the idea of love. We love being people of love. We know that love wins. We love being out in the world loving. We love, love the world the way Jesus loves the world. We know that love's going to be the only one that speaks to the world. But right now, friends, that's not, this is saying you love each other and then everybody will know the truth. That I live among you, that you're my disciples. We're called to love. And I get super stoked about this. Until I realize how hard it is to love you, Joe. <laughs> this is just tough sledding, friends. This is real life. Let me ask you a question: Why did Jesus say a new commandment I give you? It wasn't new to love your neighbor. That was a ten, one of the Ten Commandments. That's old. Why did? What was this commandment? A new commandment I give you. Why was it new? Can anybody guess? Look at the words in it then. A new commandment I give you, that you would love one another. What's the next phrase? As I have loved you. Oh. If we're going to be the body of Christ and all of these gifts are mattering, they matter and all of us are going to live together and we're going to administer them in love, our standard is to love one another, how? As Jesus loved us. Somebody tell me how that was. He laid down his life. So as much as I want this to be a warm fuzzy, that we all get to be here and love each other, and it's so sweet because I love you so much. I love you, and I love you, and I love you. I love you. I don't even know you. I love you. <laughs> That's why it's easy to love you because I don't know you. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? Oh, no. The word says you go be the body of Christ. Ready? and you lay down your life for each other. You consider other people's needs greater than your own. You consider other people's time more important than your own. You consider other people's comfort and healing more of a priority than your own. We learned about love from Jesus. And whenever we're told to love one another, we're told to love like Jesus did, and that was the example. It's not a sweet, warm, fuzzy. It's a call to say, I'm part of the body of Christ and I will lay down my life so that Joe and Ryan and Justin and Anna can thrive with Jesus. So as I head out, friends, on sabbatical here in 11 minutes, Who are you laying down your life for? What sacrifices have you made that you're meaningfully connected with the eyes and the ears and the hands and the feet that are in this body? Because God has called you to be a part of it. And I know that there's some of you that are like, whoa, I'm barely touching the edge of this thing. Like, I don't even know what I believe I know. And I love that you can come here and you take as much time as you need to. But for those of you that know this is your place, and this is your belief, and Christ is your Lord, and this is the body that he has placed you in, we need you. And you need us. And you guys need to be laying down your lives for one another. If you are not meaningfully connected, then you find a way to get connected. Pastor Courtney is the associate pastor for, anyone know? Connections. (laughs) And she'll help you. Not me, I'm out. We wanna make sure that we have all that you bring to the table to strengthen us so that we can be all that we can be for Jesus. And we wanna make sure that you receive everything you have from us so that you can be all that you can be for Jesus. I'm gonna ask Pastor Courtney and Pastor Ben to come on up. We'll do a little Q and A. And let me just pray as they do. Lord Jesus, we just take these couple of minutes and lean into your word, wanting so desperately to be the people of God the way you designed us, united, one flesh, and yet many, valuing each part, needing each other. Father God, call us to the place of sacrifice. Gosh, it's hard in our, it is so hard in our lives. I know everybody is sitting here thinking to themselves, you don't know my life, you don't know my job, you don't know my commute, you don't know my kids' schedules. How would I be more meaningfully connected to people? Oh God, would you break, kind of break through the barriers of our pragmatic and of our, like how, Lord, help us figure out ways that our hearts would be united, that we could lay down our lives for one another. And then, because that's how we love one another, the whole world will know that we're your disciples and that you live here among us and that you're the good news. Father God, we belong to be your church, the body of Christ. Give us the grace. Lead us on in the name of Christ. Amen.